verse 10, your, uh, your will, Lord. And we'll read it right here in Matthew 6, uh, verse 10, in the Lord's Prayer, because this is the key part of the lesson. Of course, it starts off with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your will be done in earth as it is being done right now in heaven. That's the nature of this lesson. This is the third week, part three of this lesson. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus ask God to have his will done on earth as it is in heaven? And so we've been studying this whole issue and we understand that when we look at the, when we look at the will of God and why Jesus would make that prayer, we understand from our Bible reading, and we're going to go through that, that there are only two wills, effectively, two wills in this world, God's will and Satan's will. When you go back to the beginning, when you go back to the Garden of Eden, you see it laid out as perfectly as you can. God had given his will. You stay in the garden. You can have everything in this garden, but this one thing you cannot have. And Satan comes in, and what does he say? Oh, that's the thing you really want. Why would God deny you that? Come on, he just doesn't want you to be as wise and smart as he is. And so, of course, they fell for it, and that was sin and death and everything that has come effectively to, to destroy the, this world and, and effectively undermine the creation of God. And so your own will... Every time you go outside of God's will, that's the genesis of it, okay? So the billions upon billions of self-wills, whatever it is, any time that you deviate from the will of God, that's where it's coming from. Make no mistake about it. And so part of what we've done here is to understand that Satan is a real entity. Because there are people in this world that don't believe he's a real entity. And I'm demonstrating to you that not only is he real, that he's unbelievably talented and gifted and attractive and knowledgeable, and you cannot go head to head with him in your own human will unless you have the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you have to understand the nature of our enemy. This we are up against an incredible enemy, but we know that Jesus will win and defeat him. And since we have the Holy Spirit within us, we understand that, that's, that we are part of that victory. And so we have to come to understand why Jesus made that prayer. It is the very nature of the spiritual battle that we face every day in our life. Every, every possible will that is not God's will is Satan's will. And so uh, understand, first of all, the life purpose. What is the purpose of Satan? And, and we know that the dragon, when we read Revelations, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. And let's just go back and take a look at that again. Revelations chapter 12. It's important that we, we lay a, a, a pretext here as we study this. Revelations 12. Revelations 12. And I told you, Revelations not only deals with the future, but also with the past. 
And here it is, Revelations 12, verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. That's Satan, Lucifer himself, right, being painted as a dragon. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And we'll concentrate on that issue. A third of the stars mean one third of the angelic realm, one third of the angels in heaven joined in this revolt by Lucifer against God and one-third of them along with Satan himself were flung to the earth underlined to the earth there so we understand what we're dealing with then the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth and this is uh, a significant of the sign of Israel giving birth effectively uh, generationally to Jesus Christ. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. So when you think those, you sing those beautiful Christmas carols, away in a manger, away in a manger, and you think of the shepherds and the wise men, I want you to realize that Satan and his uh, minions we're searching the globe, searching the globe to find the Christ child, to destroy him, to devour him. That's where the battle line was set, right there. That was the line in the sand. Kill him now, destroy him now, uh, wreck, try to wreck God's will. Uh, and, and so it says, as it continues, she gave birth to a son, a male child, Jesus Christ, who will rule all the age, nations with an iron scepter. And we're going to continue to follow that with an iron scepter so that you understand exactly what's going on here so his his life will the very design of satan's existence was to destroy israel from the beginning and and in order to do that he was also going to destroy jesus christ he wanted to turn the heart of the people away he wanted to break the heart of god and the best way to do this to, to destroy god's will was to destroy jesus christ and to lead humanity to sin. That's his life purpose. That's what he's out to do in every second of the day. That's what the millions upon millions of demons, formerly angelic realm, are committed to doing. And you, my friends, sit there like fish in a gold, goldfish bowl. And you have to understand what that's like. And without the Holy Spirit, you have no chance. And you wonder why evil takes place. And you wonder why children get murdered in a school. And you wonder why every day you see things getting worse and worse. Why wouldn't it get worse when you have an adversary going around who's committed? He's committed. He's not going to stop. So go back to the Garden of Eden when he's been cast to earth. He's been cast to earth with his angelic realm. And you see there how he led Adam and Eve into, into uh, perdition and led them into sinning. And so... He understood that God would send a savior to save humanity. But look at what God said. And don't, don't misunderstand the fact that Satan heard this. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Here he is, God speaking to Satan after he's caused Adam and Eve to fall and seduce them. And so look what God says in verse 
15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. Underline it. He will crush your head. Satan understood the seed of the woman, God's son, coming to earth as humanity in Bethlehem would crush his head. He will lose. So why do you think? Of course, this is the battle line in the sand. He will have to destroy humanity. He will do everything in his power to do this because he, heard, he understood exactly what's going to happen. There wasn't any secret. And so he understands that he's waging war against God. And as he wages war against God, you folks are effectively the prey. You are the pawns. You are in the way. And that's, and that's what he will do to try to hurt the heart of God. How else can he hurt the heart of God, the creator, but to take the very nature of his creation, the very image that God created us in his image and destroy his image and ruin, ruin the creation of God. And so we understand this and we see it, but we know here that God has promised that Jesus will rule with an iron scepter. Now turn to Hebrews 2, Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to give your Bible a workout this morning. All right, and I'm going to show you by putting the Old Testament and the New Testament together that there is one book, not two, one book, and it all speaks about Jesus, and you will see that. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, Jesus we're speaking of, so that by his death he might destroy him, him, Satan, destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We don't have that fear of death because when we die, instantaneously, we're going to be with Jesus. Amen? This is what separates us from the world. But think about the world, the rest of the world sitting in darkness, sitting there as a prey to this incredibly gifted, attractive feature of creature. And make no mistake about it, even though the Bible talks about him in Revelation as a dragon, he will not come to you as a dragon. You saw in Ezekiel uh, 28 and Isaiah 14 when they described him. Oh, the most beautiful creature ever created. That's what the Bible says. The most beautiful creature ever created. The highest of the angels. The most gifted. He had t musical talent. People say that he probably laid, uh, led praise and worship in heaven. Gifted musician, attractive, charismatic. Of course, you think you're going to be tempted by a dragon with a pitchfork? I mean, really, think about it. You think that's what it's going to be like, a pitchfork? No, it's going to be someone, something so enticing and seductive, so incredibly attractive that you're going to be sucked in like the world. You'll be sucked in. Oh, it makes such good sense. It seems so right. It seems so good. And you understand that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. This is how he works. This is how he works. Turn to Psalm, chapter, Psalm uh, 2. Psalm 2. 
Psalm 2, verse 7. This is God speaking now. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. This is God speaking of what Jesus will do. And I told you this. When he comes back, he's not coming back as the angel, as the, as the baby in the manger. He's not coming back as a baby. When he comes back, he's coming as the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. And all of us, collectively here, we will be behind him. We will gather in force behind him, and he will be there. He will come back, and he will speak a word with an iron scepter. And he, with his word, with his mouth, with a word coming out of his mouth, just the same words that he used, in creating the world, as we understand it in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the same words will now be used to destroy the evildoers, the evildoers as they try attempt to destroy Israel. It will all happen, and you will have a front row seat. You will be there. We will be there together. And so you understand this, what he's, what he's saying to them there. So he's saying again, you will dash them like pottery. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to prove to you that God says it over and over and over again. Revelation chapter 2. He doesn't just say it once. He doesn't say it twice. He repeats it over and over and over again. That's how God works. Revelation 2. Verse 27. He will rule them with an iron scepter, he will dash them to pieces like pottery. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that before? You understand the nature of this whole conflict. This is why Jesus prayed, Lord, your will be done on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see it all coming together. You understand exactly what's going on. And so as we read this, we, we understand exactly how the will of God needs, needs to be understood as to what's going on. And now Jesus said in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, let's just turn there so that again I fill this out for you because even though we've read some of these before, we have some new folks here today. I want to make sure that everybody gets a proper perspective of this. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. And this is where Jesus has sent out the 72 disciples to go into the world and spread the gospel. And now they come back and report. Look at the report. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Oh, make sure you say in your name. Don't go thinking that they're submitting to you because you're a good person. You've studied the Bible. You're a powerful person. Hey, you've got nothing going for you. It's because we did it in your name, Lord. Verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw him fall. I saw him, the morning star, the angel, the highest created being, right there next to God. I saw him fall fall from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, provided you stay 
within the realm of the Holy Spirit. That's the key. So you understand that Jesus was there at the beginning and saw Satan fall from heaven. And we know that when he fell from heaven, he fell to earth over and over and over again. I read you those verses. To earth, Ezekiel 28. You know what it says there. Ezekiel 28, cast to earth, Isaiah 14. When you read these verses again, you know what it says about it. I will lift up myself. I will stand next to God. I will be higher than the clouds. I will, I will. The self-will, the nature of drawing my perspective, what I want to do, what I want to be. It's all about me. It's not about God. And God sends him, destroys him, and sends him to earth along with one-third. And look at the damage. Look at the damage that he did in terms of, of, of the, uh, God's creation and what he did, all because of self-will. And so we see it over and over and over again. And so as we understand this, we see we get a glimpse of what has taken place eons ago. Eons ago. And so we read and we understand. We read, we read Ezekiel 28. We read Isaiah 14. And just for a second, just so you want, we won't read it again, but when you go home, read it. You understand exactly what, what God says and what he does there. And so now I want you also to turn to a new passage. I want you to turn to Job 38. Job 38. Now, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Okay? The oldest book in the Bible. It predates... Moses and the writing of Genesis probably by four or five hundred years. It's important to say this so you understand this. Job is that old a book of the Bible. So Moses is writing Genesis, getting God's word in Genesis, about 1400 B.C. And Job has, has been written probably 18, 1900, possibly even 2000. Because you will see when, it, when you read Job... It doesn't talk about the Levitical sacrifices. You don't see anything there in terms of the way the people were worshiping God uh, in Genesis. You see more in terms of the sacrifices the way Abraham did. So it's probably, well, according to Hebrew scholars, it's probably written about the time of Abraham. All right? And maybe a little earlier. So we're dealing with uh, a, a, this word, God's word, four or five hundred years before Genesis is written. This is important. Job 38. Now God is now speaking to Job. Job is has, has done his complaining. Uh, you know, he's, he's given the litany of all the things that have happened to him. And we know he was a, gr a good man, a holy man, but now he's complaining to God and, he's, and, and effectively his friends have tempted him uh, his wife has told him to die and give it up. You know, uh, I knew a man, I can't tell you, but I don't want to say his identity, but whenever his wife and he and his wife would have an argument, his clinching line would be, ah, Job's wife. <laughs> it's tough to get any lower than that. <laughs> Job's wife. <laughs> Job 38. Verse 1, 
God is now sitting there and speaking to Job. And look at what he says. And this is about the creation. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, meaning out of the cloud. Out of the very cloud, God's speaking to Job. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Has that ever been you? Right? Has ever been you? Opining? Theological opinings? Things that you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about? Right? You think you do? Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. How'd you like to have to do that? Sit in a chair and have God quiz you. And you shall answer me. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the nations, all the angels shouted for joy? All the angels shouted for joy. What does it mean? It means that the angels were there before the creation of this world took place. That's what it means. Okay? The words are what the words are. The angels actually stood there and watched God's creative power and were spectators. The angels, including Lucifer. Now, I, I'm giving you this because I'm laying an understanding for you to understand how you can uh, read uh, the gospel and how you can read the Bible and understand how God has given you some knowledge about what has taken place eons, eons in the past. And so you come to terms with this. Now, turn also to Isaiah 45. Verse 18, for this is what the Lord says, he who created the heavens, he is God, he who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it, he did not create it to be empty. Underline that, God did not create the earth to be empty, underline that, but formed it to be inhabited. All right? Now, go back with me and read Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, back in time, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Folks, I'm giving you a paradigm here that, that says to you that you can read this and understand that there was a creation that took place before the creation that we're in now. 
that there was in place something. God had something going on here in this world. There was a creation because you just read that God does not create in emptiness. When God creates, he creates in life, in fullness. And here we see in the beginning, God created and then there was void. God didn't create void. I don't believe that. And so between verse 1 and 2, I believe that you can read from the verses that we've discussed today, you can read that there was a cataclysmic event that in this angelic revolt where God cast out Lucifer, cast out one-third of the angels, sent him to earth because we know he came here. How many verses have I given you to tell you? To the earth, to the earth, to the earth. He was sent here. That in this cataclysmic event in which one-third of the angelic realm is said here, I believe there was a cataclysmic event on this earth. We don't know how. We don't know what. God doesn't tell us. But I, we, in our, through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, we believe that this is a, a possible interpretation of this world as you come to understand this. Now, let me say something to you. What I'm giving you right now is the old earth creation analysis, okay? There is very prevalent today the new earth creation analysis. Uh, the newest spokesman for the new earth uh, analysis is this fellow named Ken Ham out of Kentucky. He has the Creation Museum. And what I'm saying to you is his position is the world is 6,200 years old, all right? 6,200 years old. We respect these people. We respect these views, all right? What I'm telling you, whether you believe what I have just laid out for you, or whether you believe the world is 6,000 years old, is really of no moment theologically, amen? Let's understand this. It doesn't matter one bit theologically, but because God would have spelled it out for us. He would have made it crystal clear. So whether you think that the world is billions of years old, that there was a creation that took place for, that there was some cataclysmic event, as I've just laid it out, or you believe the world is 6,200 years old, you're free to go in any way that you want. We know one thing. God created man in his image. He didn't create him through monkeys. He created Adam and Eve, and there was a Garden of Eden, okay? That's where we come from, right? So as I give you this analysis, I'm giving you a way of looking at this, perhaps in a different way than you've ever seen before. You take it, you pray about it, you consider a bit. But understand what? I am not in any way saying that this is the only way you can, you can understand this. This is how I grew up. This is how I understood God's word, all right? This is exactly how my father taught me. This is the, and it always made sense to me as I understood it because it gave me a pretext to understand when I went to high school and college, I was not bothered at all by dinosaurs. I was not bothered at all by fossils. I was not bothered at all by meteoric impacts of the world. None of that phased me. And I'm going to tell you something else. I don't care what scientific discovery they come up with today. Nothing, absolutely nothing that they come up with can shake my faith. Amen? All right? So let's understand that. Let's understand that. So when you go trying to take the Bible and turn it into a science textbook, you are demeaning the Bible. 
all right? The Bible is so far ahead of a science book that it's not even funny. But I'm giving you a paradigm so that you can come to terms with this. You can come to terms with this. Now, I'm not disrespecting those people that believe 6,200 years is the answer. That theory comes out of Bishop Usher from the 1700s when he added up the generations. He added up the generations. You know, we went in the Bible, added it up, added it up, added it up. Comes to 6,200 years. That's effectively the, the predicate for that. If that's how you want to go and believe it, you know what? God bless you. That's okay. That's okay. B believing that doesn't in any way lessen your theology with Jesus Christ. Just like believing what I'm saying here doesn't lessen your theology with Jesus Christ. All I know is that Satan was in heaven. He was cast out. Fact. All I know that one-third of the angels were in heaven. They were cast out. All I know is when I read the Genesis account, it says nothing about the creation of angels. All I know is that they were cast to earth. I think there's a pretty good possibility, call it a theological probability, that they predated this creation and sat there in a front row seat and watched what was going on. I think Job tells us this. Job tells us this. And so this is important so that we, you understand this in terms of your, your own un understanding because you're going to hear all these things and I don't want you to get buffeted. I don't want you to be in a position to go, oh, were there dinosaurs on the ark? Because our friends that believe in the earth being 6,200 years old say that there were dinosaurs on the ark. Now, if that's what they believe, God bless them. All right? That's what they believe. God bless them. It doesn't affect your theology. And in fact, the church has invited Ken Ham, the head of the Creation Museum, to be here the end of February. I believe he's going to be here for three services. So he's going to be here. So you'll be able to hear somebody far more articulate than me uh, be able... <laughs> but you'll be able to hear that. You'll be able to hear that and see that. So it's important for you to do it. But I don't want you to be buffeted. All right? So when people say to me, whoa, how do you wonder, how do you get around the dinosaurs? This is how I get around the dinosaurs. I don't have to say that the fossil record was wrapped up and, and, and confused because I don't believe God intended to confuse us. Amen. I don't believe God intended to confuse us. I believe God's handiwork is out there, out there. In fact, you read, you read Paul in Romans. Paul says that, that the creation itself speaks of God, right? The creation itself, even if you didn't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, wherever you are, you saw the creation. And being there as just a human being observing the creation, the creation screams, screams of God. And so this is an understanding that we need to see. Yes? That's right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, I mean, let's understand this. So now the question is, what is God's will? I've just demonstrated to you that everything that is not God's will is Satan's will. 
What is God's will for us? Well, let's go back to scriptures. Let's look to John chapter 6. Let's see what Jesus says. John chapter 6, verse 40. Verse 39, and this is the will, this is Jesus now, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. This is God's will. None of you, none of you, not one of you shall be lost, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone, this is chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You want the will of God? That's the will of God. That's the overriding will of God, that every single one of you be saved, that the entire world be saved, that Jesus Christ, God himself, sent to this world to rescue us, rescue us from perdition, be saved. That is the will of God. That is the very will of God. And understand it. God spells it out. He says it to us over and over again. Then turn to Romans. Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. We were talking about this morning. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve Test and approve what God's will is, his good, blessing, and perfect will. You want to see what God's will is? Then conform to God's will. Conform to his law. Make your body, your body, an actual sacrifice. Make your body a living sacrifice. When you make your body a living sacrifice to God and you dedicate yourself to God, then you will get confirmation. You will get confirmation of the will of God in your life. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words you've given us today. Lord, as we understand this cataclysmic battle that is going on in this planet between Satan's will and your will, Lord, give us the grace and understanding and, and the strength through the Holy Spirit to abide within your cover. Lord, protect us as we understand what Satan's plan is for us, how we are nothing but pray and how he wants to destroy your will. Lord, we ask you that you give us the strength and protection and lift us up so that we can carry out your will in every way. And now, Lord, I ask you that you confirm the lesson that we heard in our heart, that we continue to, to contemplate on it this week and apply it in our lives. I ask you now, Lord, also to protect our dear people, bring them back safely next week. We ask you to touch the pastor so that the sermon that he has will touch our hearts as well. We put all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.